This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. All right, Rob, here we go with uh, just a wild week in BC politics. This is this story and this report from Daryl Pleck is, I would say, this is kind of the biggest spending scandal we've seen at the BC legislature in I don't know how long. Since the last spending scandal at the BC legislature. But this is a big one, yeah. right? Like, I have never seen a report like this before and this kind of detail, these kind of allegations, this kind of public outrage. And it ain't over. I mean, we're just seeing the beginning here because now it triggers a, a whole bunch of other next steps here. It all started Monday with the release of this report from the speaker, 76 pages outlining all these uh, outrageous uh, spending that he uncovered. Almost all of it focused on the two officials who were marched out of here in November under police escort. Uh, Craig James, the clerk, Gary Lenz, the sergeant arms, who are both still on the job, by the way. They're just suspended with pay, so they continue to collect their paychecks. Let's, let's talk, Rob, about what this has been like. This has been an amazing few days since this happened. I, I thought it was interesting this week that we saw uh, um, Daryl Plekis, the speaker, make his first public comments mm-hmm. um, since this all blew up. Anything jump out at you from what he said? Yeah, I mean, he was at some unrelated event in his Abbotsford constituency, and, of course, all the cameras descended on him to ask him um, you know, some questions on what was going on. And I think one of the more interesting ones, and we covered it in the paper, you can check out the province and Sun Online, uh, is that uh, the speaker would like the money back in some form or fashion that um, was improperly expensed in this report. Now, in the report, they talk about millions of dollars in money. It's not millions that was actually spent because some of it's retirement allowances and benefits and things that that the speaker intervened on and did or didn't uh, authorize. But there's some crazy stuff in there, the $1,000 suitcase, which is still in the legislature somewhere, I'm sure. Um, you know, the wood splitter, all these all these types of things. I guess he wants to recover some of that money. And talking to the Auditor General, she said one of the things you would do in a, in a type of forensic uh, audit situation is you'd look to recover yeah. that money. So yeah. that's, and it's also a great comment to make to the public. Let's get those dollars back that were misspent. Sure. That was one thing he said. I, do you think it's realistic? Could, we, could you foresee that they, they can do it? I don't think I don't think how I, I can't see how you get back all of this money. I mean, this is certainly a lot of money, and it's a nice thought to think that wow, the public could maybe recoup some of this. But if you go down the list, like you had the two hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollar retirement bonus for Craig James in two thousand and twelve, even though he didn't retire, you had the famous truckload of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no price tag put on that in the report, but you got to figure that's expensive because Plekas himself noted how. They didn't like the cheap plonk and gut rot around here. Yeah. They like the good quality well, booze, okay? One does so, like uh, one's booze good quality. Yes, yeah, so you want high end, you know, like, so that would be expensive. The cash in lieu of vacation stuff mm-hmm. in this report, which to me was some of the most disgusting reading in this report, where uh, these two guys would uh, supposedly not take their vacations and then demand cash payments from it instead. And then Plekis outlined evidence that maybe they did take vacations anyway. These are all allegations, by the way, I should stress that hasn't been proved, right? But this is just outrageous reading. So much money. The famous $13,000 wood splitter, as you mentioned, and the trailer, which has now been removed from the clerk's house and is now parked outside the legislature building. 
So, I mean, this is a lot of money and a lot of people might think, yeah, it'd be great. Let's get this money back. The problem is, I think, a lot of this stuff was formally approved. Like a lot mm -hmm. of these spending decisions were not done in secret or they weren't, it wasn't out of some, you know, bags of money in a smoky hotel room changing hands. This stuff was approved uh, in most cases under the, the, the former regime for approving these things, which is part of the problem. So how do you get the money back if it's been approved? Well, and that, that question also extends to the, the methodology of Speaker Daryl Plekis and the way he did this. And some yeah. questions are coming up now about, okay, well, so he did this basically almost year-long undercover investigation where he approved expenses that he knew to be or yeah, felt he, to be he were wrong. some of them too. And, right. and the, some of the questions are now, okay, well, that he has said that he needed to do this to keep an eye on what was going on here, uh, to get a full picture, to go on these trips, to look at the expenses, to to go to London and also catch um, you know a thousand dollar suit that he could see in his eyes was gray but went down written on the report as black that had a tie that was changed to tab on the report. Like he was able to observe and, these, and those were all done. He says in the report pr presumably so they would meet the criteria of the dress code of the legislature right. so these guys could claim them as an expense. The, the problem right? though, I guess, is that is. To what extent does that taint any evidence that may ever end up in court? And I, I have a feeling, you know, defense lawyers are good at coming up with any and all arguments when they need to be in court. If this ever does come up in court, the argument that Speaker Daryl Plekis approved these things, very clearly his own approval notes are in the package that was given out to media saying, yeah. I approve this expense. And he did it for, you know, multiple trips and multiple expenses. Does that, does that somehow give an opening um, for questioning about the way that he did this this is that's entrapment yeah is it kind of like entrapment could their could their lawyers argue that they look we thought this was these expenses were all approved so they hadn't done anything wrong that's assuming I, it ever gets to court yeah that, right um i thought it was so amazing though that he was kind of like a secret agent you know or is like an undercover agent at the legislature going on these trips secretly observing everything obviously very closely i can just imagine him going back to his hotel room at night and writing up notes mm. and then he gets back to the legislature and compares what he saw with the expense claims that were filed and getting set to blow the lid off of this thing you know and he was asked it's kind of like i just keep thinking it's like a secret agent you know it's like james bond playing golf with goldfinger you know yeah. they don't know he doesn't know that this take, guy's this a double agent <laughs> taking calls in his shoe phone oh. <laughs> oh it's gosh. like wow and so plekas was asked about that because some people said oh well, you went on the trips yourself yeah how is this good and he said look i did that because i was he said to quote him exactly he said i was trying to establish a pattern of activity and that we would not have got to the place we're at now if I had raised the flag at the first thing that I saw wrong. Like if he had blown the whistle, he had pulled the alarm bell the first time he saw something wrong, it would have blown his cover. So he said, no, I kind of went along with it in order to observe what was mm -hmm. going on. Now, I guess there's two ways you can look at it, right? You could say, well, then you're just part of the problem. You're on this pork barrel trip yourself or are you actually doing a public service here by actually going along and documenting this stuff yeah it is right? it is a, a question i guess i mean the extent to which this ever ends up in court i, I, I view the plecus report in three parts basically the first is ironclad receipted expenses on outrageous items documented they were approved all the documents are in the report that seems pretty clear that stuff uh, ends political careers. You can just stop right there if you want. It's done. 
Um, I think it's ended the political careers of Craig James and Gary Lentz, no matter if they're ever charged with anything. They won't be back in this building because of, of those expenses, if they're you know proven to be true. The second part of, are things that need more investigation. And you, you brought up the truckload of alcohol. Well, in the report, and I was just rereading it this morning again, in the report, there is one account from uh, the deputy sergeant at arms who swears an affidavit saying he heard about this in 2013. And it explicitly says in the report, there are no first-hand witnesses that have been spoken to at this point. I know Alan Mullen, the speaker's special aide, told us the next day that that they have spoken to people. I, I don't know why that's not in the report. But there's stuff in there where you would expect more follow-up, you know? What's the yeah, deal with this missing woodcutter? missing pieces there. But it, it, you know, there's a lot of retirement benefit, pension, vacation payout stuff where you're not sure... You need more information about it. It seems ridiculous, but what do you know, right? And then the third part is what I like to call the hearsay part of the report, where Daryl Plekis talked to a person who had talked to another person who talked to Gary Lenz who said Craig James was a liberal. You know, like stuff where you're reading it and you're going, ah. And that's where, you know, people who view Daryl Plekis with some skepticism start to see some score settling in there. There's a lot of emphasis on how bad the liberals are. Uh, and a lot of emphasis on making sure everyone knows that the liberals are, are the problem here. Um, but, okay, you put all those three things together. The first part, the receipts, is pretty much the, the, the kill shot in this story. That's that, kind of that, red-handed. That is the end yeah. of, if, if it never goes to court, the other two parts are moot. We don't need to follow up on the truckload of alcohol. Um, it's, it's done, right? And so it's a very fascinating report in the sense that in a different circumstance with different people, You'd be reading this report going, wow, that's outrageous, and then going, oh, I don't really understand that, and then going, well, that doesn't seem reliable. There's parts yeah. in it where you where you bounce all over the map, and I guess you got to keep that in mind as you're doing it. And I, and I just said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again on our podcast for the millions of, millions of listeners that are listening here. Let's give Daryl Plekis some credit for at least taking a swing at this thing, and I have given him a rough ride. And uh, people keep saying, you know, online, it's like, well, should you apologize for that? I no. I'm just going to get closer to the microphone here. No. Because <laughs> in an in a absence of any information for the last two months, when you march out with police escort, the two highest ranking officials in the legislature, the first time in British Columbia history, and you don't say a word about why it's done. We don't know yeah. if it's fraud. We don't know if it's, cr- you know, robbing a bank or like we have no idea. And, and you don't say a word. Um, the public will want to know, and the public pressure increases, and people start to demand answers. And they ask, why are you doing this? What do you have to gain from it? What's the context of this? Who are you? How did you do this? And those questions, Daryl Plekis said, were very hard for him and his family. And that's fair enough. But I guess at the same time, we also have to acknowledge, at least he's trying to do something here. And you and I know from covering this place for years, Saints Alive, you know, that this is... <laughs> This is a messed up building with some weird cultures that go back a long time. And if someone wants to come in here, take a swing for the fences on cleaning it up, then full power to them. There's some, just some other context, too, about how this all unfolded, which has just been so, it's been very unorthodox, to say the least. Um, when this happened, I think fresh in the minds of a lot of people around the legislature was what happened to those health workers in mm-hmm. the past who were faced accusations, were later exonerated, but not before their lives were turned into a nightmare. And one guy actually committed suicide. And a lot of there was a lot of questions about due process around firing people. 
And when these guys were marched out of the legislature, that's why a lot of the questions centered on Plekis's role and like, where's the due process? What is going on here? And tell, the, tell the people what's going on. Yeah. So he did take a lot of heat. I, I think legitimately took heat. Now, two months later, you see this report and I think for most people they're saying, okay, fine, this, this report is a bombshell and the story is completely turned on its head. Mm-hmm. Now I think what people want to know is how is this going to be cleaned up and how deep does it go? And I think that's the focus, the focus now. Um, the stuff is, is very politically charged. You mentioned yeah. uh, uh, people pointing a finger and saying uh, Craig James and saying, was he beholden to the liberals somehow? And that's in the re- that's a lot of stuff that in the report, a lot of the, re- the report documents, a lot of meetings he had. Mm-hmm. with a lot of very senior liberals, people like Jeff Plant, the former uh, liberal attorney general, whole series of meetings. Plant has said, well, I was doing uh, legal work for him. I was doing legal work for the clerk's office. So that's why I was having meetings. He's a lawyer. So there, there may be explanations for these meetings. Yeah. And but, I think of the Christy Clark meetings. Well, he met uh, with Christy Clark. I mean, he met the, with senior liberals. There's a, you know, if you're an ex-MLA here and you're trying to figure out your pension or when you're defeated, your transitional allowance, they all get money to take online Spanish courses or whatever transition into the real world they need. You only go to one person in this building, and that's the clerk. He's now, the CEO of the legislature. Whether, they, whether he should go to Vancouver and meet with them or they should come here, I don't think it's outrageous that he met with Christy Clark. I mean, I know the conspiracy theorists would say it's a proof of some you know liberal whatever, but if an MLA loses an election or retires or resigns, their only access to their pension and their benefits and their post-political um, you know, political career is the clerk of the legislature. Yeah, so there may be explanations for that, but certainly the, the NDP now really piling on and just pointing a finger saying, like, look, this is a liberal scandal, really trying to kind of pin it on the liberals, that this is kind of rot that developed when the liberals are in power, uh, that the, the NDP didn't even want Craig James as the clerk in the mm-hmm. first place. The liberals heaped all kinds of scorn on him uh, when the whole thing broke. You had Andrew Wilkinson, the liberal leader, telling, saying he, the speaker was out of control and he'd gone rogue, all this stuff. Now Plekis kind of emerges from it as a, as a kind of a hero out of the whole thing. But, but do you think that the political damage, let's talk about the political damage on this thing for the liberals. I mean, we got a by-election next week. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all of a sudden the by-election kind of fell off the table in everyone's attention. This is a crucial by-election coming up in, on Wednesday where the, if the liberals somehow win this thing, you know, what appears to be a safe NDP seat, but you never know. It potentially brings the government down because there's a tie in the legislature. Does this story hurt the Liberals' chances in that by-election? I think it does. Uh, I, you know, I, I have to agree with you on that. Yeah. I think it's quite possible that um, some voters go to the ballot box in Nanaimo, you know, and, and look at the parties and maybe not even the names and go, good gravy, like what, this... This is a reflection of all the things I disliked about the Liberals. This Maybe it helps the Green Party. If the Green Party has well, uh, got their, their hands clean on this, Weaver Weaver's breathing, breathing fire, yeah. the, the, the Green Leader. Classic uh, Weaver press conference we had this week yeah. where he, he had some fantastic quotes mixed in with some factual inaccuracies, which is kind of classic Weaver, <laughs> but and, and which was, you know... I so, thought he was great. I thought that was maybe some of the strongest comments I've ever seen from Andrew Weaver, the Green Party, because he's in a great position on this politically. I mean, because both parties, I think, got their hands kind of dirty on this thing. The Liberals, of course, we've just talked about their connection to this, but a lot of these expenses uh, happened over the last year and a half in this yeah. report uh, when the NDP were in power. Yeah. So the NDP... I think both parties have been hurt by this. The only ones that look come out of it 
technically clean or maybe the green maybe it, the green party it's very dangerous ground for both parties to be attacking each other on this because yeah. as you know and I know Smitty from being here a long time if there's one thing that brings politicians of all stripes cats and dogs together in this building it's their love of their salary and expenditures uh, <laughs> and that unites them all and we and from you know this is my 10th year here and I have covered MLA expenses the pretty much the whole time yeah and it is amazing to me when you go back and look at how both parties provided cover for each other on the expense system. It was like pushing a boulder up a hill to try and get them to tell you what they're yeah. spending, how they're spending it. Let's put receipts online. The NDP, I, I you know, I did a column in the, the Sun uh, this week that you can find on the website where I went back and looked at some of the quotes from MLAs of all stripes, including the NDP, about why receipts on expenses at the legislature aren't necessary. That was in 2014. Mm. Wow. You know, and, yeah. and so... We're heading into a weird period where, because of the by-election, this issue becomes an attack line for both parties. And the NDP supporters are saying this is all the Liberals' fault. Right. They're taking it back to Speaker Linda Reid, who yep. was the last Liberal speaker, who I wrote a ton of stories about her expenses. Oh. Uh, safari trips, um, you know, $40,000 touchscreen computer terminals, $755 muffin racks. A safari trip in which she refunded part of it... The, because her, her husband, husband went yeah. on the uh, she was, African safari. She was under a, a, a police investigation for a constituency office upgrades that the, ultimately she wasn't charged in. And her biggest defender at the time was then NDP House Leader John Horgan, who would come out and who would defend Linda Reed. And I remember him telling me, don't you have bigger stories to do than these little expense stories? And now the NDP have taken the position that we need to go back and thoroughly scrutinize Linda Reed's uh, conduct as speaker. Well, it was being thoroughly scrutinized at the time by the media, and the NDP were the ones discouraging the media from doing that. So the political hmm. opportunity that the NDP sees now to go back and retroactively undo and rewrite their historical defense of Linda Reed is the kind of thing that, when you cover the legislature, makes you pull your hair out because you think, you know, you think at the time... Why would they be defending Linda Reed? Is it because maybe they're worried about their own, well, they were their defending, own dubious expenses being exposed? They were to? defending Linda Reed at the time because the liberals disliked her, because the liberals were trying to hold the line on budgets that they barely had a surplus in. Mike DeYoung, the finance minister, was cracking down on her. She was spending like crazy. The NDP realized that Linda Reed was something that the liberals uh, had a weakness on, and they, oh. and they decided that they were going to exploit it. And, no. you know, it's just an example of how messy this is going to be for all parties if they try to really go back and rewrite history on their own expenses. Yeah. I think maybe some MLAs are a little worried about where this is all headed. And where, if, what does Craig James and Gary Lentz, what do they have on yeah. the current crop of MLAs and their expenses? I mean, they held all the secrets in this building for a lot of years. And if this does come to push versus shove and press conferences and lawyers, what is going to come out about all of the parties and the MLAs? You know, NDP House Leader Mike Farmworth has been here almost longer than anyone, almost as long as Linda Reed. Uh, there are MLAs in here who have been here a long time who have been involved in some of the decisions over the years that we're now going to go back and forensically audit. And it's going to get very uncomfortable for some of the MLAs here who had no problem with the tinkle of the scotch glass for yes and no in the past, who fought against transparency over the years because it was a real hassle, who defended the people they now want to go back and attack. And because we're in a by-election, that's going to get all distorted and twisted and warped by the political apparatus on both sides. But 
it's uh, it is a messy situation for sure. There's a there's a hamper full of dirty laundry. Maybe they'd like to keep a lid on. So we'll see. But speaking of Linda Reed, uh, let's talk a little bit about the jam she's in now because there's a whistleblower has come forward. This was talked about in the Plekis report without a name, but now uh, a whistleblower has come forward named Connor Gibson has spoken to media, and he's uh, claiming that, what, Linda Reed padded her expense accounts? Yeah, and he uh, spoke to our colleague uh, Richard Zestman from yeah. Global and uh, said that the, it's possible Linda Reed submitted expenses for taxi trips at the same time as charging the kilometers of personal mileage on her vehicle. And how can you be in a taxi in your vehicle at the same time? He also said... Um, that the expense is probably small, and he wasn't yeah. particularly outraged by it. And there's an allegation in the Plekis report that he was terminated for whistleblowing, although it doesn't really seem like that was actually true either. He was a sessional employee um, who eventually was let go because his sessional contract was over. Nonetheless, it, it, it's an example of one of the types of expenses that can get MLAs in the glue here. And the, ND, the NDP have seized on it as a Linda Reed is responsible for Yeah, these stick problems. it to the Liberals. And to go back to what I was just saying, if you look at the expenses we actually covered for Linda Reed that were a problem, massive cost overruns on things in this building, to, to, to now go after her for possibly a few hundred dollars of, of double billing. And then the report doesn't even prove that it happened. It just says this person raised the concern. It doesn't say the money was expended twice. It just says the concern is there. And didn't Plekka say in the report it was it was looked at and then these officials decided it was, yeah. there was nothing there? But that's the least um, egregious thing she ever did here as a yeah. former, as well, an MLA. So it's hard, to, it's hard is, to get exercised by it. The thing is, though, she's kind of a target now because now you've got the, the NDP going after her. Andrew Weaver has said that she should step aside as mm-hmm. the assistant deputy speaker, which she is now which, by the way, is a job that has a a salary bonus of $40,000 a year, Mm -hmm. assistant deputy speaker. She is one of the longest serving, actually, she is the longest serving MLA in the place. She was first elected in 1991. So she's been an MLA for, what, 28 years. Uh, She's made a lot of money over that time because she was a cabinet minister. She was a speaker. The speaker's job pays 160 grand a year right now. She has racked up, no doubt, a massive defined benefit pension after 28 years as an MLA, probably going to make like $90,000 a year on a defined benefit pension. And I think some people look at this and say, and you're padding your expense account too, allegedly, stress. Really? You're sticking at the taxpayers for a few extra bucks on your per diems or whatever when you've made this much money? This is one of the things. Remember what Pleck has said? When you find out what's going on around here, you're going to want to throw up. And I think for a lot of people, what they see when they read this report is, you know, greed that you got people who are extremely well compensated to start with. They've got great jobs and they're still kind of sticking at the taxpayers for even more. Like Craig James what, he makes $350,000 a year, yeah. the highest paid speaker in the country, better paid than any superior court judge in British Columbia. And he's sticking it for, for ties and suits. You know, again, I stress allegedly, everybody's innocent until proven guilty here. Craig James has said he's done nothing wrong. But I think this is one of the reasons why the public is so outraged when they read this stuff. It's stuff they can understand and they can relate to, and they realize these are very highly paid officials, and it just looks terrible. But MLAs of all stripes have been sticking it to us on their expenses for a long time. There are MLAs here. I cited in one of my uh, columns an an MLA, uh, Bill Routley, up in Cowichan, who used the $1,000 a month 
receipt-free housing allowance oh, to yeah. purchase an RV. Yeah. Then he billed taxpayers per kilometer mileage to drive his RV from Cowichan to Victoria every weekend. Then he billed them for the rental pad for his RV. There was an MLA who bought a boat with their housing allowance. There are MLAs who just take the money and stay I with remember, friends in town. I remember there was a guy here at the legislature, an MLA, liberal MLA named Paul Nettleton. He used to sleep in his office at the legislature yeah. and still charge and for his, the uh, money. his pocket there, the money he's I supposed a, to spend in a hotel room. I did a story about Ida Chong uh, many years ago who was taking the full per diem but lived within you know, 10 minutes of the legislature by drive. I mean, there are MLAs who take... Carol James. They take their per full, per di- for, full per diem here and they expense it. And then they go to an event and they eat a dinner there. Yeah. And it has been going on for every single MLA for years. But because we're in a by-election, it's very easy to point to one of them in an expense that hasn't even been proven and and just take them to town on it. So, again, I just stress that it's it's a very slippery slope for MLAs in here inside their glass houses on top of their glass mountains on their glass worlds to start hurling bricks at each other. There's a few who just arrived here who are rookie MLAs who probably don't have that baggage, but some of them have giant you know, anchors tied around their neck and they're about to jump into this murky pool. Well, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, which leads to maybe a final point we could make, and that is who's going who's gonna to clean up this mess? Who's going who's gonna to look into it? That committee on Monday voted to bring in an outside auditor from outside of British Columbia. Now you've got Carol Bellringer, the present Auditor General of British Columbia, who is frustrated that this whole thing has been done. People have done an end around or end run around her. you got a great story about her in the paper this week with an extended interview with her. She wants to be involved in this now and do the audit herself. Premier John Horgan kind of seemed to indicate that maybe he thinks that's a good idea. How do you think that's going to go? Do they go in-house with the Auditor General of BC to clean this up? Or do you stick with the original plan and bring in some from outside? Well, it got a little messy. I think in the fog of war in Monday's uh, Lamsey committee meeting where this report came out, MLAs voted unanimously to go outside to a different Auditor General. And I think they forgot that 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 may be viewed as a lack of confidence in BC's current Auditor General. And there's some suggestion... Um, that maybe she was too close to this uh, because she's auditing the legislature's books annually and why didn't she catch it? She points out she does a high-level financial audit. Yeah. She doesn't approve the expenses. She doesn't pull every She's not looking at receipts. receipts. Yeah. No, that's the MLA's job. So in the aftermath of this, she started phoning MLA's, including the Speaker and NDP House Leader Mike Farmworth, and basically saying, do you have confidence in me? Yeah. And the implication of that is if you don't, then my future as AG may be coming to a to an abrupt end. And they said, yeah, we do. And Mike Farnworth phoned the Premier and said, just so you know, this is what's going on. And the Premier came out and told us, I have confidence in, in Carol Bellringer, the auditor, and I think she she should be the one doing this, but I'll leave it up to Lampsey. The old, I'm going to tell you, Lampsey, what they're going to do, but I'll leave it up to them to rubber stamp it. And I think we will see the current Auditor General of BC be the one to do this audit. She has the mandate, the authority under the law. She can subpoena, call witnesses, put people under oath. And uh, she's already here and is familiar with it. And... Um, I, I, you know, it will probably take less time for her to do it than it would to probably call be less, someone else. Probably be less expensive too. Yeah, if you're going to bring in some someone from outside in BC. On the other side, this thing has been so outrageous; it's got so many people upset. Some people might think maybe having a brand new, fresh pair of eyes from someone outside the province is not a bad idea. Yeah, and you should stick with the original plan. We'll see where it goes from there. Maybe we'll talk about that in the podcast next week. Oh, my God. I mean, I, Who knows what will happen between now and then? <laughs> we can have a bio. Like, so next week, subscribe to our podcast. Obviously, you're going to get 
uh, notification when our new episode goes up. Typically, we're doing these on Wednesday, Thursday. Next week, the by-election result is going to come in, so we're going to wait until that result comes in, and then we're going to analyze what happened in the by-election and maybe where things go from there. So subscribe on your favorite podcast supplier. Go to the Vancouver Sun and Province websites, and uh, we will talk to you next week. See you then.